When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, and welcome to Recall This Book. This week, we are rerunning an episode from last season on women and political office dedicated to Elizabeth Warren. Our conversation is with Manduhai Bolyendulgar, an anthropologist from MIT. Please stay tuned for future episodes with Peter Brown on medieval money, Christine Desson on money as political agreement, and Vincent Brown on the Caribbean, the Atlantic world, and war. Thanks. From Brandeis University, welcome to Recall This Book, a podcast that looks backward to see into the future. Our idea is to assemble scholars and writers from different disciplines to make sense of contemporary issues, problems, and events. And we try to do this by looking at books that shaped the world that we have inherited. Today, our hosts are John Plotz. Hello, John. Hello. Elizabeth Ferry. Hello. And we're joined by Manduhai Buyendelger. Uh, she's the Associate Professor of Anthropology at MIT. She's the author of Tragic Spirits, Shamanism, Gender, and Memory in Contemporary Mongolia, which is published by the University of Chicago Press in 2013 and winner of the Shu Book Prize from the Society of East Asian Anthropology. Um, Manduhai is currently researching women parliamentary candidates in Mongolia. Welcome, Manduhai, to our tiny soundproofed Welcome. salon. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Today we're going to talk about a topic that's been coming up quite a bit in the U.S. news recently, uh, women and political power and women politicians. Uh, we've been hearing quite a bit about Nancy Pelosi, AOC, and the range of possible female candidates uh, for president who seemingly can only be compared with each other uh, today. <laughs> which you just did. <laughs> which I just did. <laughs> right. um, we're going to curse it. Um, we're going to take a broader swath uh, beyond the U.S., though. We're going, to, we're going to go from Argentina to Mongolia to Zambia. And we're going to pick up some Hillary Clinton and Margaret Thatcher along the way. <laughs> so uh, we, with the exciting prospect of hearing about your work shortly, Mondhai, we thought we'd go in chronological order today mm -hmm. of powerful women in politics. Um, what I would like to bring in today is a book by Tomas Eloy Martinez, who's an Argentinian writer, was an Argentinian writer, who wrote a, a sort of part novel, part reportage, part surrealist <laughs> confection called Santa Evita, which is about um, Eva Perón. And the book is a combination of interviews with people, journalism about Perón, 
and also a kind of long extended story of what happened or might have happened to her body after her death. It is in fact true that that her body was thought to have disappeared and cropped up in a bunch of different places. Um, there's a lot of mystery surrounding it. Also that um, supposed relics of her body, pieces of hair and, and nails and things uh, were sold, sometimes embedded in jewelry. And the book kind of riffs on this in, in some interesting ways. And hey, Elizabeth, for those of us who are sort of amnesic or not that good at history, can you uh, remind me of uh, Eva Perón's dates, like when she was in power and also, you know, birth and death and all that? Yeah. So she was the wife of uh, President Juan Perón, and she was the first lady of Argentina from 1946 to when she died, which was in 1952. Um, she was born in 1919. So she died quite young um, of cancer. A lot of her power, uh, which was undeniably political, was very much located in her body and in her mm. image. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, um, she was a kind of not very good actress who was uh, from the provinces and thought of as not particularly attractive, um, and then was kind of made over. And particularly, and probably people listening have an image of her with her kind of. Um, almost Grace Kelly-ish, blonde, you know, perfectly coiffed hair. Um, We can do side-by-side photos for the website. We can do side-by-side photos, yeah. Um, So, for instance, one of the the parts of Santa Evita has a description from her hairdresser. Um, And I have to say, I don't know uh, how much of this is a fictionalized description, but it kind of gets at... um, some of the issues. So so her hairdresser is quoted in the book as saying, I lightened her hair little by little. I used stronger and stronger dyes. I did her hair more and more simply because she was always in a hurry. I had a hard time convincing her because she had worn it loose all her life. Before she knew it, Evita was already different. I made her, he repeated, I made her, I made a goddess of the poor chick I first met near Mar del Plata. She didn't even realize it. Hmm. So I think this kind of, you know, raises a question about what kinds of power women are allowed to have Mm -hmm. in politics or not. Yeah. yeah. Well, since we know we're heading to Clinton, there's also the family connection to think through, maybe. Uh I don't know. know. So one of the things that that Evita is famous for is meeting Juan Perón, uh, who became her husband, in a public uh, setting and, um, you know, saying things which were quoted in a bunch of different ways, including, um, thank you for your life. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. so I don't know how this might connect to questions of family and authoritarianism. Oh, well, power. that's an interesting connection. I was actually thinking about the opposite, which I was thinking about Thatcher as self as self-made woman. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Again, I mean, thinking about where HRC exists in this question of like, you know, powerful women who are connected with powerful men before them. Because yeah. one thing about Margaret Thatcher, I was not prepared to talk about this, but, you know, her husband, Dennis, is like famously a figure of fun in England in the 1980s because huh. because he's the first first man, basically, uh-huh. you know, so that he so there's, you know, comics that just show him basically sitting around, I don't know, doing the dishes or fishing. Those are the things right, I think that Dennis right, right. was seen yeah. to be do, yeah. doing. So so I just and with wonder. with an apron on, I think, too, right? Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. that's right, actually. Yeah. So I'm just wondering about the glamour of power the way you're describing it with with um, with Ava Perone mm-hmm. and you know successive waves of blondness because because Thatcher's power is exactly antithetical to that it is mm-hmm. frumpiness personified like mm-hmm. like you know kind of like Queen Victoria or Queen Elizabeth like that she's she works by her plainness yep. yeah yep. It, it, 
Actually, both yeah. Queen Elizabeths. Yeah. Right. Yeah, maybe. You know, no, I think the first yeah. Queen Elizabeth was a little bit more glamorous. Well, sent, but okay. yeah, but but yeah. So um, so spe- so the authoritarianism line that Elizabeth is referring to is the the book that I chose to talk about is an amazing book called Iron Ladies um, by Beatrix Campbell. And actually, the subtitle is Why Women Vote Tory. So it's a book that's primarily not about Thatcher so much as it is about the gender gap in British and European politics more generally in the period she's writing about, which is the 70s and 80s, and the way that the gender gap tended to favor conservative parties for female voters. So that's the premise of the book. But then she talks about Thatcher as the apotheosis of this kind of iron lady um, mythos in England. And so the book comes out in 87, at which point Thatcher has been prime minister already for um, eight years and is going on. So you can think of Thatcher and Reagan as being referably comparable, strongly conservative figures in a, you know, a society that yeah. had always called itself a liberal society, but had social democratic impulses, which right. both Reagan and Thatcher are fighting against. And they're both sort of epoch defining. Very epoch defining. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, if you think about British popular culture out of the 80s, if you think about, you know, My Beautiful Laundrette or Sammy and Rosie Got Laid or, you know, any of those (laughs) defining um, films, you know, the story is always about Thatcherism. Mm. Love it or hate it. And in some ways, My Beautiful Laundrette, I think, actually is it's implicitly pro Thatcher because it has a soft spot for kind of entrepreneurial small business diversity, which is what Thatcher represents. But the other thing that Thatcher represents, and this is this does connect is the nation of shopkeepers, right? Well the nation of shopkeepers, right. Like child of a shopkeeper, she's very proud of that. But also um, Beatrix Campbell has a wonderful line, which is that um, Thatcher reunited a party divided since 1945 on the basis of, quote, the marriage of moral authoritarianism and economic liberalism. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, there's so many things to be said about what Thatcherism does on the authoritarian side as well as on the liberal side. But I think since we're talking about it in terms of the gender of leaders today, I guess one point worth making there is that the moral authoritarianism is articulated as coming out of a family-based authority. Like, in other words, she rep- she always right. represents herself as incarnating the virtues of the family. So mm-hmm. I thought I would just quote the most, probably Margaret Thatcher's most famous line um, in England, sort of, this is what people will quote at you with Margaret Thatcher. I mean, besides, this lady's not for turning. But the famous speech she gave in 1987, sorry, it was an interview in 1987, she said, they, meaning basically whining Labor Party members, they are casting their problems at society. And you know, there's no such thing as society. There are individual men and women, and there are families. And no government can do anything except through people, and people must look after themselves first. It is our duty to look after ourselves, and then also to look after our neighbors. So the, I think the, the wrinkle that Thatcher brings is that, on the one hand, like Reagan, she incarnates a strong form of neoliberalism, like a you know, sort of Republican in American mm-hmm. terms. Um, adherence to the logic of the marketplace, the invisible hand of the free market. On the other hand, she really anchors in this notion of authority coming out of the family. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, the fact of her being a woman enables her to kind of present that. That was going to be my question. And and then sort of wondering, like, do you see ways in which she's using that? Oh, yeah. I mean, the pocketbook, as you said, Uh the nation of shopkeepers. I think she absolutely, uh, she uses that. People... Um, you, you know, one of the things that people 
called the Labor Party's vision of a robust social democratic institution filled society was Mm -hmm. a nanny state. And Thatcher was basically like the anti nanny Mm -hmm. by being just like this strong, sensible house marm kind of figure. So I do think she is she's playing that Uh very much. And Campbell has this wonderful chapter where she says basically Thatcher gets to be a man when it suits her to be a man and a woman when it suits her to be a woman. And that's not a role that a male politician can so readily play. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, the, the, yeah, yeah, it's interesting though because yeah. it 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 feels like that's one of those cases where being female in politics opens up a range, broader range of possibilities, whereas we see a lot of cases where it's a narrower range. Yeah. No, um, absolutely. Yeah, which I don't know if that uh, is a good to... <laughs> intro into your uh, work, but we'd love to hear yeah. about it and then hear your thoughts. So um, the book I wanted to talk. To today um, is by Hillary Clinton, Hard Choices, or at least the book that I want to start with. Um, It is um, an autobiography, which is different from the book that is written about uh, her. And she has a voice, very strong voice. She has written several books. And this one is, I think, is very unique uh, in the sense that um, she wrote this book after in two, you know it's published in 2014 and uh, she chronicles her work as a secretary of the state right um, it is a, it's not about glamour mm-hmm. it's very little about the kind of power that she feels and embodies and experiences mm-hmm. as something like a public persona or something mm-hmm. that she can delegate and feel empowered. It's very much about the work. Doing the job. Doing the job. Uh-huh. And there is very little gender in it. Mm-hmm. Right. Or what does it mean to be a woman, a secretary of the state? It's mm-hmm. just about the choices she made, the difficult situations that um, her staff or United States was in, and she mm-hmm. needed to figure out very quickly on her feet what to do. Some right. of the situations are very bizarre and funny, such as like uh, during the during the time when Aung San Suu Kyi was um, arrested in, uh-huh. and was in uh, during the house, house arrest. arrest yeah. um, an American Burmese man who became infatuated with Aung San Suu Kyi um, broke into her house. Uh-huh. And uh, so the American side had to deal with it and things things like that. And it's mm-hmm. amazing how much of innate wit and uh-huh. quick thinking, uh, friendship, um, um, all kinds of, um, uh, you know, um, official and unofficial sort of powers and thinking she needed to summon mm-hmm. to to make decisions and to get out of the situations. Mm-hmm. So she doesn't, Hel- Hillary Clinton doesn't talk about what does it mean to be a woman, what 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 is gender. It's more about uh, the position of, of the United States within um, the world and mm-hmm. what she could do to improve the situation and things like mm-hmm. that. And this book stands, this book needs to be read or at least thought about in the context of other books that she wrote and right. other sort of publications yeah. that are written about her. Mm-hmm. Um, her uh, latest book, which is um, ti- which titled What Happened, right. and it is about the um, uh, the election. The 2016 <laughs> election. <laughs> election uh, is very much about gender. What does uh-huh. it mean to be a woman and uh, to be talked as a woman and to be measured by all kinds of right. people? Right. And well, that's sort of the the underlying argument of her. Like if the I haven't read the book, but from mm-hmm. what I've the reviews and things and interviews, 
it sounds as though her answer to what happened is primarily misogyny. Oh yeah, right? absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So um, she has so she has multiple voices, and and the thing in her work, uh, her book, Hard Choices, um, kind of speak to my work about women. Mm in Mongolia who are uh, who are uh, parliamentary candidates mm-hmm. and uh, who talk about themselves um, in, in a sense not as gendered beings uh-huh. per se but as people who can do work right. not necessarily a gendered work not mm-hmm. they're not necessarily shaping themselves or uh, claiming to have more insight in running or moral you know, authority, moral instance. authority, mm. or uh-huh. running like the Department of Children and Mothers right. or something mm-hmm. like that. They right. claim to have equal uh-huh. sort of status, and whether that's um, they're doing strategically or whether that's just in general the the different kind of understanding of gender and feminism. Yeah. That's a different question. Right. But um, I'm so glad to you have this. Before oh. you go on, I mm-hmm. just want to, can you tell us a little bit more about the context of that work? Because I think it's so fascinating. So um, I am an anthropologist, right, and doing uh, an ethnography, writing ethnography about women. Uh, parliamentary candidates in mm-hmm. Mongolia, and um, in during socialism, um, so Mongolia was socialist until 1990. It was Soviet-style socialism. Mm-hmm. Um, women had a quota in high positions, including in the national parliament, and uh-huh. they had 30 okay. percent representation uh-huh. in over 400 people uh, national assembly. Um, yeah. That was kind of forgotten or jettisoned mm-hmm. during the end of socialism, mm-hmm. and by was that. Sorry, was mm-hmm. that typical of other Soviet-style republics to yes, have a gender-based Yes, it was typical. Um, some places were able to maintain that uh, mm-hmm. because of the strong feminist movement, but mm. most places kind of it just melted away. Right. Uh, right. So, but then the fight to reconstitute that quota was very hard. Mm. And in 2008... Prior to t- 2008 elections, women won. Uh, women uh, appro- uh, got approval from the parliament to have um, 30% um, quota a seat for the par- uh, sorry um, candidate quota for the parliamentary elections okay. for so women. So not necessarily elected, but no. Uh, yeah. But but they lost, and uh-huh. they had to work <laughs> again for the next 2012 election to reconstitute it. Mm. But what I'm s- trying to say is that when 2008 um, candidate quota was abolished without right. any explanation by the government by by the parliament, uh-huh. um, and it coincided with the time when electoral campaigns became highly commercialized okay. and became very expensive. Uh-huh. Um, during that time, uh, most women were challengers, were outsiders, mm-hmm. the, the candidates, and they also didn't have as much money as some of the incumbents or some of the other men. Mm-hmm. So what has happened is that uh, women, women um, had to rely on who they are. Mm-hmm. Right, who they are as people, as gendered beings, as um, in you know their education, their background, everything mm. like that. So that's what I write about, and mm-hmm. and that's why Hillary Clinton's book is so important because many of them were many of these Mongolian women were capitalizing on their skills right. and what they could do. Right, right. So. What is the highest uh, post that a woman has had in the Mongolian government? 
uh, president of the country. Uh, oh. in is that a ceremonial post or a real post? Back then, it's a, it's a real post. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I forgot the year, years, yeah. but it was yeah. the widow um, of ah, the family first connection. president, uh-huh. who, uh, wife. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but that was long ago, and it's yeah. a very small period. And even though it is actual position by, back then, probably w- the power was limited. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and in so and the more recent, the post more recent uh, speaker yeah. of the house. So that's a powerful that's a powerful yeah. role then. Yes, it is. It yeah. is. Mm-hmm. The house. So, mm-hmm. But women's positions have always been challenged, right? And so 2008 election, women uh, gained only uh, 3%, 5% or something mm-hmm. like that. So it's ongoing process. Well, can I ask if there was there about Speaker Ayun, is that her name? Yeah. Yeah. Was there, is there a massage? Were there, how was she depicted in public? Like, does she, does she get some of the grief that American female candidates get? Like, is she accused of being... I don't know what, you know. What. So Ayun is a special case. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. She, is, she was elected to the parla- uh, parla- parliament. Uh, t- she gained the parliamentary seat because of, um, of an unusual tragedy. Uh, her brother, who was uh, the leader of the democratic movement yes. and who later became a candidate for the prime ministry, was yes. assassinated yes. in 2000. Oh, so there's shades of the Gandhi family. Then. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. So, but and she was one of very few women mm. um, to be in the parliament for a long time. And by the time she became a speaker, I think she gained this reputation of being um, this model, the the uh, morally um, intact representative mm-hmm. of the parliament. Partly because of her brother, but also mainly because of her um, uh, public image mm-hmm. and. But well, th- she also has critiques who says that she doesn't do much. Yeah. But then if right. there are women who try to do a lot and they get into trouble because there are different people who talk differently about what right. things what that, that looks people like. do. Well, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the morally pure figurehead, that's a traditionally female role. Like it, yeah. we can think about a lot of like historical politics right. in which yeah. being moral and kind of above the fray You're is right. coded as female. Yeah. So, right. Yeah. right. Exactly. And that's definitely true in, uh, for Evita. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. This is yeah. all making me actually think more about how impressive Thatcher is in this yes. context because of the ways yeah. in which she actually goes against some of those norms of, you know, yeah. being brought in through family ways or like coming in as a figurehead. Mm-hmm. Like she mm-hmm. came in as a scrapper. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I and mean, also, I hate her politics, but it's very admirable. Yeah. Like in terms of how she yeah, found yeah, her place. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. She's incredibly savvy. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, one thing that. And let me just ask you yeah. if this is this is one of the reasons why you're intrigued by the book Hard mm-hmm. Choices. Um, it sounds as though what you're saying about Mongolian female parliamentary candidates is that they're on the one hand kind of not really supposed to talk about the fact that they're women, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. kind of, you know, there's this language of, you know, it's all about the job and yeah. this is, you know, I'm the best one the for morality. the morality. Yeah. But at the same time, and I know this partly from your work, <laughs> and this also kind of, in a sense, it puts together, mm-hmm. you know, what Hillary is talking about it in, in Hard Choices and in the later book, yeah. they're having to fashion themselves oh, yes. constantly and work on themselves yeah. as women, right? Yes, no, absolutely. And uh, we should put up some of the photos from your article, from yeah, your recent sure. yeah, article, yeah, 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 how people yeah. self And maybe you can it's give really, some examples yeah. oh, about absolutely. that. Oh, yeah. absolutely. So uh, Margaret Thatcher is an example of um, sort of um, polishing, self-polishing, mm-hmm. the, the styling for older women mm-hmm. and uh, 
So she's a model for them? She was. She uh, was. Mm-hmm. For all the women. So uh-huh. in the 1990s, early 1990s, right. people knew much about Thatcher and they right. tried to dress like her. And yeah. the suit was very fashionable. The helmet hair. The helmet the hair. hair. Yeah. The, the uh, kind of um, jewelry that she right. wore. And interesting. The scarves yeah. she wore that, that people tried to emulate. That's uh, interesting. With yeah. uh, the new women, newer uh. women, 2,000-plus uh, yep. parliamentary candidates, are amazing in the sense that they treat their bodies as pliable, mm. um, endless resource. Mm. Uh, they change their voices uh, mm. from trying. Oh they my take, God. They take lessons from uh, singers, opera mm-hmm. singers, and mm-hmm. uh, they um, uh, utilize latest technologies of um, a- anti-aging and mm-hmm. <laughs> beautification. Oh right. Um, right. Yeah. But the and trick a lot of work with color too, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. the trick is to be good-looking without being sexy. Right yeah. to right. be uh, to be liked without inviting too much. Yeah, right. And that's very hard. <laughs> and yeah. they yeah. do it really well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Through clothing, through yeah, that's everything. totally fascinating. The yeah. voice question is fascinating. Also, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So if you could describe how what is the ideal voice that they're aiming for, like in terms of right. pitch or accent, and then or, we'll all try to do it. Keeping with our so one of my uh, informants, uh, a uh, a former um, who was a candidate for a long time, and then an MP, member of Parliament, Mm. Ms. Ayungeril, who is a celebrity writer as well, and Uh writes novels, and one of first people to actually translate her novels and get it her novels on the Amazon for English and French speakers. she described, she took some um, advising from both international as well as domestic advisors on mm-hmm. how to create the uh, electable persona. Right. Uh, the, her, her, so her voice is a little too high pitched. It's mm-hmm. sh- a little shrill. So she needed to make it. Oh, shrill. That's one of those words. Right. Shrill. Yes. Uh, yeah. right. Shrill and so, strident. Yeah, yeah. yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah. And it's very hard to apparently listen. Uh, she was told it's hard to listen to her for a long, prolonged period of right. time. So. So um, she took classes uh, for two years with the mm-hmm. singer to keep her voice, to thicken her voice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, mm-hmm. enrich and, it. Make enrich it, it and make it lower in tone. Mm-hmm. And that... Just take I, testosterone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that was amazing because I was very uh, puzzled uh, when I was sitting in her office. And uh-huh. um, with me, she would just talk what seemed to be a very feminine voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she like, code switched. Yes, she did. So uh-huh. she would she yeah. would have higher pitched voice with me and then her assistants came yeah. to ask uh-huh. questions and yeah. she delegated the task to the yeah. assistant. And yeah. the assistant was a young woman and yeah. she practiced her right. <laughs> okay. electable voice. And yeah. she said, I'm practicing my voice? Yeah. No, or she, she just said it. She just do this. I mean, I can't imitate yeah. it. Let's do this and that and right. this needs to be done this way, blah, blah, blah. She gave right. instructions in a different choice and then yeah. she turned within yeah. a second and talked to me about other things in what seemed to be higher pitched voice and I How couldn't understand and why she was doing until she explained this to me and I was like of course yeah. okay of course yeah, yeah. it makes sense yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. so I just listened to that podcast about Elizabeth Holmes I think I'm getting her right mm-hmm. name right this imposter from Theranos who just who built people out of billions of dollars and one yep. of the things people are obsessed with is that she changed her voice really? so that in college she had a 
just a whatever a, mm-hmm. her own female voice uh-huh. and then she darkened and deepened it yeah. right. and when you listen to her she never broke role that's wow. the amazing thing about yeah. her is that she kept uh-huh. so it, it, yeah. I just there was something about the way it was used as the gotcha in the podcast that did feel a little weird to me and having this conversation right. is sort of helpful because it's like shrill and strident are like the the undesirable characters right. in the voice and then dark and authoritative is the desired character but also maybe but, that like, but if you're a woman who has a dark and deep voice, then you're putting something on. Right, or, right. Oh, and also yeah. that the voice, you know, it might be one thing to change your color of lipstick or right. your clothing, but somehow the voice is like the locus of authenticity. Exactly. Because right. it exists somewhere in between the, the body and the external and world. Right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 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 So it's working really on that is, um, and I mean, you see that, you know, now you think about things having to do with class, right? The idea of people who are. Who take lessons to reduce their yeah. class? Right. There's so many different so types of passing, right? And yes, then so exactly. that you get this character, and you know, and, and it's definitely true in the trans community that the mm-hmm. question of voice mm-hmm. recognition is a huge issue. Mm, right. Like being heard on the phone is a is a dangerous space if you're a certain mm-hmm. kind of trans person because you might be identified as having your birth associated voice and as a right, yeah, yeah. right, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh-huh. yeah. But yeah. I really, but Manuha, your formulation of like being. Um, uh, I think the phrase you used was like good looking but not sexy. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Like not so not yeah. attractive but appealing or something like that. Or, or right, you're it's good like looking really, enough, but not yeah. necessarily inviting too much. Not, no, come least, hither. Yeah, right, at least not in overt way because this is important for these parliamentary candidates. It's very important to look dignified and yet very attractive. Totally, right. and not to be filed as trophy wives or misses or beauty pageant, but then look not worse, not right. any less than that. Right. Totally. Right. So I think, yeah. right, so I think in the American tradition, great people to think about would be Barbara Mikulski, who was mm-hmm. just short and just never made an effort mm. to be like glamorous at all. Mm. But she kind of came on to the scene. I don't know if she was married, so I won't call her a housewife, but she came on as like a middle-aged activist. Like that's how right. she right. appeared on the scene. And then Claire McCaskill, who was the wife of a senator mm-hmm. and then had to establish her own independent identity, which I think was very... I'm going to call it dowdy, you know, mm-hmm. like Thatcher-esque. Mm-hmm. But that other category you're talking about where you're actually willing to be good looking and like, you know, right. appealing to people, yeah. but without well, being coded sort of as sexy. Anne you know? Richards category, yeah. right? So elegant. Totally. Um, but the person I was thinking about was I wanted to ask you about childbirth in office because I yeah. was thinking about Jacinda Arden from New mm-hmm. Zealand. Do you guys know her? The labor prime minister from New Zealand oh, who's yes, a young woman right. and had her first baby like right, right after Very being elected, basically. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, she's an environmentalist. Yeah, yeah. She paid for her own travel. She paid for yeah. her, her partner and her baby when she traveled because she didn't mm-hmm. think it was right, you know, right. to just like, yeah, <laughs> there's so slash. many things to love about <laughs> yeah, her. But I yeah. mean, she clearly navigated that question of, be- of being like, yeah, I'm, I have a female body. I'm pregnant. Mm-hmm. I'm about to have a baby. But... It wasn't so she right. she was interested in looking good. Like she talked about how she right. wanted to wear nice shirts, but <laughs> not right. sexy good. Well, I'm also thinking yeah. about the um, you know s- some of the stuff that's coming out around Alexandria Ocasio Cortez and her. Oh, you know yeah. she dresses you know too nicely. Those you know they seem too fancy mm. for someone who's supposedly from a modest background. Right. right. But at the same time, I mean, I was reading one thing that said you know if you're a woman in politics in the 
uh, the United States, there's like you're either a battle axe or a pretty nitwit, right? Yeah. And she's sort of <laughs> right, you know, and she's neither of those, right? So, but she's so always are, tipping into the pretty nitwit. So, right. so basically, category, people right? are irritated because they can't class her, right? Right. right. Yeah. So that's yeah. a big issue, uh, I think, in politics. Is that so in Mongolia when um, the quota question came up uh, again and again? Mm. Uh, another question followed, which is, um, who, who, what constitutes an electable woman, right? right. Who, so there is no the, the de facto person in the parliament is male. So what kind of women we want to see that mm-hmm. became an issue? So people try to classify exactly like that. It's this pretty, as this right. grandmotherly, or whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so women whom I work with who, um, you know, want to uh, represent, they they have to navigate. Some, right. of course, just go without paying too much attention. Right. And those right. people remind me very much of this Hillary Clinton right. spoke about. Mm-hmm. They talk yeah. about what they're going to do. Yeah. Right. right? And not but all of them, but right. many. But so of course, to be a politician, I'm so sorry. To yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, but to be a politician is to think about how you appear in public. Like you can't, right. like it's, you can't it avoid is, it. You can't avoid it. Like no. there's no, I mean, maybe if you were a wonk technocrat, you know, right. that's fine. Like that's yeah. what you are. But if you're a politician, I yeah. mean, JFK and Nixon both had looks, you yes. know, like right. And, there, and were increasingly like, there's, you know, yeah. entire there's an entire industry around the Absolutely. cultivation of political candidates. Right. Totally. Oh, but 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 the thing that you're talking about, Manu, I think that's so revealing because it, like so the per, the word I've heard used in, you know, political discussions is what lane are you running in? Like, mm-hmm, so in other right. words, what is the specific right. thing you offer, right. which could mean poli- it could mean a set of policies or it could mean an appearance. Right. And like, for example, with like Elizabeth, a brand, like a brand. But with yeah. Elizabeth Warren, what I heard people saying about her post Clinton is like, oh, well, she can't win because look at what Clinton did in that lane. And it's like right. it's so it seems so insane to me because Hillary Clinton and Elizabeth Warren occupy totally different lanes. Yeah. Policy-wise, right. yes. so the only thing you could mean by that is that they're like women of a certain age who project a right. certain kind of competence, right. and, yes. and that's yeah, they're so like middle-aged, the middle-aged or yeah. late middle-aged right. white okay. ladies, right? Like, right? Like, 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 like Warren's yeah. problem is Bernie Sanders. Like that's a big problem. But <laughs> right. the idea that her problem would be that Hillary Clinton lost, like that's so maddening. Yes, you know? yes, yeah. indeed. Yeah, I'm going to go back to Kennedy again. Like he was a okay. Catholic. Right. Running in a country where a Catholic had never been elected president before. So what he had to do was a little bit shift the image of what an electable right. person was. Right. Again, he was very concerned with how he looked. And yeah. that was part yeah. of it. Well, and, and he had to shed the Al Smith, I guess. Right. right? But, 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 but Mondo, people's I mean, memories. This, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yep. totally. Right. So there's legacy you have to shed. But yep. but like in terms of your the candidates you're looking at. Yeah. Do you see people figuring, okay, here's the existing role and this is what I have to do? Or do you see people imagining themselves in like, the, is there the possibility of proving to people that there could be a different lane, <laughs> a different look? You know, John, it's so dynamic. Yeah. And the ways in which women are allowed even to compete in the, mm. um, within the party, different political party platforms is more or less negotiated and orchestrated what these women are going to mm. represent. Mm, right. 
who are they going to defend? Are they going to cover for some difficult situation for other men? Or mm. Not like with their bodies, but like to kind of soften the, yeah. the, right, right, right. the, the difficult media situation or difficult right. corruption cases. Or, or a particular like. policy. Right. Oh, so they're like moral cleansers. Yeah, yeah uh-huh. they, some of them. And yeah. some of them, are they, they just uh, have very uh, important appeal, mm-hmm. right? And, and some of them are just to help others to get so mm-hmm. they assign different roles. So what is important, what I learned from elections in general is that there is no like black and white winners and losers. Mm-hmm. It's such a multi-step, long-term process that even losers behind the curtain um, have a chance to reshuffle their yeah, right. positions. Yeah. So some you know, candidates know that this time yeah. they may not win. Mm-hmm. But there will be another chance. But in order to do that, they have to rehearse their craft. Right. Well, and also there must be sort of, as there is in all kinds of places, you know, fav- like you have my back this time yes. and then I'll have your back oh, some other time. So, and, that's why yeah. it's so negotiated. Right. And when women might come with their sort of ideas of what they're going to do, mm-hmm. and then they have to work around what their parties or their uh, their what the situation might dictate mm-hmm. and maneuver around and change a little right. bit, which could be um, good and could be very undermining as yeah. well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's turn to our section of the episode on recallable books. That's mm-hmm. where we, uh, we uh, uh, ask all of us to think of things that might be uh, exciting for people to look mm-hmm. at further or um, that might take your thinking on these questions in different directions. So maybe I'll start with you, John. Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to stick with the Thatcher theme for mm-hmm. the evening. Uh, and I'm going to recommend uh, Hillary Mantel's uh, story called The Assassination of Margaret Thatcher, which is in a book called The Assassination of Margaret Thatcher. Uh, I cannot uh, do justice to this story mm-hmm. in a brief period, but it is a fantasy or a fictionalized account of an of an assassination attempt on Thatcher and it carries this intensity of hatred you know the way that the left and the right are so divided around mm-hmm. Thatcher in England you know during the time of her what I want to call her reign but it also involves like Irishness and the way that Irishness stands for violence in the English context and uh, there's mm-hmm. just a lot of kind of stereotyping, like Mantel is kind of playing with the way that we make easy assumptions about how somebody is because they're Irish, how somebody is because they're a woman, Mm -hmm. um, how somebody is because they're British and hence theoretically not capable of killing one another, but the idea is maybe we are. Uh, So it's it's a fantastic story. So that's my recommendation. Great. Thank you. Uh, Well, so speaking of stereotypes, I'm going to be stereotypically anthropological uh, and bring in an ethnography called Iron Gender and Power, Mm. Rituals of Transformation in African Societies by Eugenia Herbert. Um, This is a... um, is a kind of a survey or a, or a comparison of a number of different, um, particularly Central and West African um, contexts where um, the ritualization of ironwork as a male um, activity and a politically powerful activity, but one that kind of makes use of ideas and images of childbirth Mm -hmm. so that the forge is, you know, very clearly metaphorically this kind of image of of um, of a woman's body, of a vagina, of birth. Um, but women Just are like not. Just like in Great Expectations. <laughs> and pain. Yes. And labor. And pain. And yes, yes. Emergence. And yeah, all these Fire. things. Generation. Yeah. And power. 
but it's only reserved for men, oh. right? So it's it's a one point. Uh, Herbert says something like, you know, female power is recognized, but it's appropriated or assimilated. That's, um, that's a nice line. Yeah, yeah. and uh, so that you know, um, I don't think everything's like that. I certainly don't think everything in in mm-hmm. you know the soci- societies that she's describing or or other societies is like that. But I think this notion of you know what is what is the idea of female power? What are women supposed to stand for? What kind of work do they have to do in mm-hmm. politics? What kind of work are they not supposed to do? Right. And how their power and their bodies might be connected or separated, I think, is a fertile, a fertile, so to speak, <laughs> line of inquiry. Amazing. <laughs> I can't wait to read both of these books. So I do recommend, um, even though it's a huge book, Hard Choices by Hillary Clinton, mm-hmm. and um, just to really sort of think about women's work as work, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. not just like... Um, you know, all the other things that women do in order to get to the power, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. like the work when they are powerful. Um, and as because this book is autobiographical and it might be too close and Hillary Clinton might be too familiar, et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. I, I would like to recommend an exotic book <laughs> and a small book and a more popular kind of book uh, by uh, Jack we- Weatherforth, who is an anthropology professor at McAllister College, um, Mongol Queens. Mm. How did the queens contribute to the empires in mm-hmm. Eurasia back in 13th century and 14th century wow. to rule, yeah. to, to rule one great. of the biggest, uh, some of the biggest um, empires oh, back mm-hmm. then? Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's wonderful. Okay, well, um, thank you so much, Mandahai, yeah. for joining thank us. You so much thank you, Mandahai. having a great yes, conversation. Great. It was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Recall This Book is the brainchild of John Plotz and Elizabeth Ferry. It is affiliated with Public Books and is recorded and edited in the Media Lab of the Brandeis Library by Plotz, Ferry, and a cadre of colleagues here in the Boston area and beyond. Our music comes from a song by Eric Chaslow and Barbara Cassidy, Fly Away. Sound editing is by Claire Ogden, and production assistance, including website design and social media, is done by Matthew Schratz. Mark DeLello oversees and advises on all technological matters, and we appreciate the support of university librarian Matthew Sheehy and Dean Dorothy Hodgson. We always want to hear from you with your comments, criticisms, or suggestions for future episodes, and you can email us directly or contact us via social media and on our website. If you enjoyed today's show, please be sure to write a review or rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. And you might be interested in checking out past episodes, including topics like opiate addiction, old and new media, an interview with Madeline Miller, author of Circe, and a conversation with living legend of science fiction, Samuel Delaney. From all of us here, thanks for listening today. <laughs>